Hi friends, you're listening to Palmetto Young Life. This podcast helps encourage and equips leaders to reach the next generation. In this episode, we have the privilege of hearing from Mike Kramer, who's been on staff with Young Life for over 34 years. His current role with Young Life is Mission Core, which basically means he helps us not stray away from our core identity of introducing adolescents to Jesus Christ and helping them grow in their faith. Though he would say his favorite role in Young Life is being a volunteer leader. Enjoy talk number two from Mike Kramer on our Committee Leader Weekend in 2023. What is Young Life's mission statement? Go ahead and turn to a neighbor, see if you guys know what that is. We're going to start with it. Nobody's got to be a quiz, but hey, well, okay, why not? I will say, okay, right, what's your name? Faith? Micah. Okay, let's give a round of applause for Micah. Young Life's mission statement. Applause. To introduce adolescents to Jesus Christ and help them grow in their faith. Now, here's what's interesting. My role just changed this last year. I have a new role. My role is the director of missional core. So it's my job to make sure that you know that. Consider yourselves blessed at this point. I'll be honest with you. I loved, you know, for me, when I came to know Christ, I was in high school. Young life had a great impact on my life. I went from having really kind of no clue at all to all of a sudden I found myself sitting in a room with a bunch of friends that I wondered, why did I not come to this before? And I'm sitting in this room and this guy gets up and he starts talking about Jesus and it's like the light bulbs just went on. So for me, it was kind of this journey of my friends inviting me, my getting involved. And what was profound for me at that point was There was this aha moment of what I was hearing was what I actually had been seeing in my friends for the last six months to a year. And they had invited me. One of my best friends in high school was a guy named Tim Wolf. Anybody know Meredith Wolf? Is she here? I've been trying to find out if she's here. She's not here. Out of town. Out of town. Meredith's dad, Tim was instrumental in my coming to faith because he loved me and he cared for me. And he laid down his life and cared for me in a way that there was something different that was happening. We're going to talk about this tonight. I hope that by the end of our time tonight, you have a sense of God's spirit calling and moving you to be involved in kingdom work that's far beyond young life. But we get to do it in young life. So tonight we want to jump into a few things here. Uh, last night we talked about these circles. Remember the circles? It sounds like some of you had some good conversations today about these circles. You guys remember what's in the middle? Another quiz? The heart's in the middle. The outside is the behavior. And the way it works is transformation happens from the inside out, right? So as we are being redeemed and God's spirit is moving in us, that our heart is being redeemed. And as our heart comes alive, that our behavior begins to change. But then we also talked about there's this dynamic that if we just kind of say, oh, I live by grace and my behavior doesn't matter. What happens is our behavior crushes our heart. And we have to be wise in what it means to follow Jesus. That it's the life of Christ in us. But it ought to be reflected in our behavior. And it's something, excuse me, for us early on that we need to make sure that we are helping each other in this process. We also talked this morning, remember the train tracks? We had the train tracks of what it means to live the spirit-filled 
and the Spirit-led life. One of the train tracks was don't what? Don't quench the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Spirit's moving, and the Spirit's moving in this world, and the Spirit's moving in our lives. And then, the other one is don't grieve the Holy Spirit, right? So don't grieve the Holy Spirit, don't quench the Holy Spirit, and then that kind of helps us go one more, if you don't mind. Maybe we don't... There we go. Thank you, Mary. And would you give a round of applause for Shelby over here? She is on the fly doing a fantastic job. Really appreciate that. So we talked about that this morning. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And this is part of what it means to stay on this track of what it means to lead a Spirit-filled, Spirit-led life. I have another image I want to give you as we jump into tonight. What does it look like for us as we're filled with the life of Christ to then go and minister to people around us? Oftentimes what it can feel like is that we get ourselves filled and then we go and we dump ourselves out, right? And we pour ourselves out and we find ourselves getting burned out and worn out. Anybody yet feel like really tired at times of doing young life? Absolutely we do. I want to give you this image as a way to understand this spirit-filled ministry. That it really ought to be us as a cup. And that God is filling us. And as God fills us from the top, it just begins to overflow. That it's not me going and dumping myself out. It's this whole system that when I go to kids, all of this goes with me. That it's not that I get filled up in the morning with God and then I go dump myself out through the day. But I actually get to this place where I begin to learn that all of my life is this moving together with God and with his spirit with me. When I began to learn this in my life, my quiet time changed from being a time where I spent it with Jesus. And then the rest of the day I was distracted and didn't pay attention to where my time with Jesus was tuning my heart so that in the quietness, I become familiar with his voice. And as I became familiar with his voice in the quiet, I could then begin to recognize it in the chaos of the day. Because I would suggest to you, friends, that God is trying to speak to us throughout the day. And he's trying to nudge us. He's trying to move us in direction during our day. And this is where ministry and life gets fun when we really begin to realize that Jesus is not just a time in the morning with some coffee. But it's my whole life, and it's this spirit-led, spirit-filled life as I go. Jesus gives us this as a commission. After his death, burial, resurrection, we see in Matthew 28 that he gives us this great commission. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. I love this last part. And surely I will be with you always. I'll be with you always. And there's times when you're going to the school, and there's times when you're lonely, and there's times when you're not sure. He's saying, I'm with you. I want you to go. And as you're going, I want you to make disciples of all nations. This is actually our call. Do you know that your call in young life is this, to make disciples? I think it was said earlier today that this is actually our call is to make disciples. Do you know that your call is not to run club? Your call is not to take kids to camp. Your call is to make disciples. Our call 
is to make disciples. Because this is the biblical mandate. This is the biblical commission. So when we reduce it to just some little thing in young life, we're missing such a grand opportunity for us to have a vision of that God is not just building a cathedral in us. He's building a cathedral in the kids that we walk to. And when you have this vision that God is building this cathedral in kids, it's a lot more fun to go out and stack bricks, isn't it? It's a lot more fun to go out and put down the mortar and stack the bricks. And it may be tiring, but you have this vision of what God's doing. So we keep going and we keep going. Rayburn said this. You heard, ever heard this quote? He says it's a sin to bore a kid, right? You ever hear that quote before? No. Well, this is good. This is my job to make sure that you know this, okay? So Rayburn, anybody know who Jim Rayburn was? He was the founder of Young Life, okay? Write that one down. If you don't know that, Jim Rayburn founded Young Life, okay? Now, we're going to have some fun with that later with what he says about Young Life, but it's a sin to bore a kid. Do you know that that's not the full um, quote? The full quote is this. It's a sin to bore a kid with the gospel, because the gospel is so attractive, the gospel is so full, there's so much to tell kids, it's not boring. And it doesn't mean that we make it not boring by throwing a pie in a kid's face. It's that it's not boring because it's not boring. The gospel in and of itself is remarkably attractive when we lift it up. And then Rayburn goes on, he finishes it by saying this, if you can't not do that, then you better get to know the one you're talking about a whole lot better. The greatest privilege that we have is to walk into a kid's life and to thumb through the scriptures and help them to see and discover the beauty of this person, Jesus. This is what we get to do. Oh, and by the way, I hope that doesn't happen just at club or just at camp. The joy of sitting with kids and helping them to discover this person, Jesus, and how he views them and values them, and loves them, and came for them, and pursues them, and lays down his life for them, and rose from the dead that they can have life. And let's remember, folks, that's for us too. So what I want to do now is give you a model for how all the pieces of young life fit together. Okay? Our target audience... I'm going to have some images up here. I'll tell you what the image means. So on your piece of paper, keep a whole piece of paper right here. This is going to build all around it, okay? But in the middle, you don't have to draw this picture. But what this picture um, represents is disinterested kids. This is our target audience. It's been a part of our DNA from the beginning, is taking Jesus to disinterested kids. Now, that doesn't mean kids that are following Jesus are not a part of this, but it means our target audience. The passion with which we have is towards disinterested kids. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 15. Does anybody know the parables that are in Luke 15? There's three things that are lost. There's the lost sheep. The, well, that was true. There's a lost coin too. Let's do it in order. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost sons. The lost sons. Here's what's interesting. What we're seeing here is Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are really upset that Jesus is spending time with the sinners and the tax collectors. So this is the context for Jesus telling these parables. By the way, he tells three, which means we have to hold all three of them together. It's not just let's pick one, let's hold all three of them together. 
and see what happens. So Jesus is actually telling the parable to the Pharisees who do not have a heart for the lost. And in the first parable, we see the lost sheep. There's something valuable that's lost. We see that there is a heart for the lost. We see that there is somebody searching for the lost. The lost is found and there's a celebration. In the second parable, we see there's a lost coin. There's something valuable that's lost, right? There is a heart for the lost. There is a searching for the lost. The lost is found and there's a celebration. And in the third parable, there is what? Something valuable, much more valuable than a coin and sheep that is lost. There's a heart for the lost. We see it in the Father. There's a searching for the lost. No. Nobody's searching for the lost. The lost is found. Well, kind of. But nobody actually ever went searched for the lost. Do you see how when you hold these three together, what's missing in the last one becomes profound? Nobody went out searching for the lost son. Here's my question for you. Who should have gone out searching for the lost son? The older brother. Why? Was his role. That was what his role was. Who does the older brother represent? The religious leaders. The Pharisees. Those that did not have a heart for the lost. So Jesus tells this parable to them. And it's so important to understand the context because if you don't understand that he's talking to the Pharisees that are not having a heart for the lost, then you just kind of joyfully read one of them and say, that's a neat parable. You hold all three together and it's like, boom. There's nobody searching for the lost. Jesus grills the Pharisees here. And what happens at the end, even though the Pharisees are lost, the father goes out to which son at the end? The older brother representing the Pharisees and says, I know you're lost too, but please come to the celebration. You can come back and be a part of this. We see the father's heart for the lost in this. What does it look like for us to fulfill that role as called redeemed people to join in this call for and toward the lost. So we're going to have fun. We're going to start Young Life from scratch right here on the, on the board. Okay? How many of you went to this? Uh, you're starting or restarting Young Life this morning. I know it was in the Ben McDaniel did. It was a fantastic seminar that he did. Okay? Starting Young Life from the ground up. Here's what it is. Here's how Young Life starts. There's a group of adults in the area. This represents the committee. Thank you, committee. A round of applause for our committee folks. Okay? There's a group of committee folks that's all saying, we have a heart for the lost. But they also recognize they may not have the gifts and the skills to go to the lost. So what they do is they form themselves. They say, we will pray. We will be the backbone, as Craig said it, the backbone in the community for this ministry. And we will pray for lost kids. And as we do that, we will pray, God, would you please send somebody Please send a leader. Please send staff. Please send us what we need because these kids are so desperately lost. So as they pray, we then have a leader show up. Now, 
What does the leader do at this point? There's no young life. There's no, there's no club. There's no campaigners. How many of you are in a situation like that or similar to that where there's not like a big booing club going on? Right? There's not like this great campaigner group going on. What do you do? What does Matthew 28 tell us to do? Therefore, go. So the leader starts to go to kids. This is young life. You need to understand this. This right here is young life. The moment a person goes to kids, that is young life. Because it is us going with the message and the gospel towards kids. What's interesting is this, is kids today, when I was growing up, and those of us that are closer to my age, the primary question we tended to ask was, is it true? Meaning, like, if something was true, then we'd go, well, then my life should reflect that and be, be bound to that, or my life should revolve around this idea of truth. What's interesting today is that that is not the primary question kids ask. The primary question kids ask today is, does it work? And for a long time, I used to fight it. Go, no, 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 you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. And then I began to realize, no, they're asked, well, one is, that's the question they're asking. And the other is, that's actually a really good question. Does it work? Because what they're asking is not, is it some kind of theory, but is it in reality something that can impact my life? I think as young life, we are positioned better than ever to walk into kids these days. Because kids are asking the question, does it work? And what we as a mission say is, trust us as a, as a leader. Let this life of Christ be in you. And please, let it motivate you to go to kids. So that when you're going to kids, not only is the message proclaimed, but it's being lived out by you. In other words, you're walking into a kid's life saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Which is what Paul said. It works. So we go to kids. And as we go to kids, we begin to build relationships. When I was in college, I know this a long time ago, but I know a lot of you are in college. When I was in college, I was in the university, at the University of Cincinnati. And I had this sense of being called to follow my area director to Buffalo, New York. So I went up to Buffalo, New York, going into my junior year. And I told him, I just feel called to go and be a part of starting Young Life up there. There was a little bit of Young Life going in a few of the communities, but it was kind of this major restart. And as we got up there at his, in his house, I remember sitting at his kitchen table. It was me, it was Greg, it was this other fellow, Steve, that felt the same call, and then Greg's wife, Cammie. There's the four of us. And he rolls out this map in front of us on the kitchen table. And he says, here we are in Orchard Park. He says, this is where we are. The committee wants us to have Young Life here. They also want us to have Young Life in Royhart, and they want us to have Young Life in Amherst. And he looks at me and he says, where do you want to go? And I was like, uh, I don't know, uh, Amherst? I mean, literally, that's, that's how it was decided. He goes, okay, go start Young Life in Amherst. He hands me a piece of paper with the name Sharon Jackson on it with a phone number. He hands it to me and he says, give her a call, go start Young Life in Amherst. And I'm like... I didn't think that's how it was going to go down. <laughs> I was like, that wasn't exactly my vision for this thing. I called Sharon Jackson. Went up. Met her. We prayed. I went to the school. I didn't know anybody at the school. Hadn't met a, a, a soul. How many of you are at this place, right? Don't know anybody, really. 
I'm sitting in the parking lot in my car. And you know how it goes down. You're thinking, okay, do I get out now or do I wait? I should wait. <laughs> and then you're like, a few kids start to come out because they went out, came out before the bell. And you're like, I, I shouldn't get out now. That'd be kind of weird because like, I don't know these kids. I don't know any kids, but I don't know, I don't know these kids. So then I think, well, I'll wait a little longer. Then the bell rings. And like, well, I don't want to look foolish walking up as everybody's coming out of the school. So I'll wait a little bit longer. And then everybody's coming out of the school and into the parking lot. And I'm like, now this really looks stupid because I'm in the parking lot and I haven't gotten out of the car. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? So I'm there and I'm like, okay, I, I think I, I missed it. I, you know, I think I missed my chance. And then I heard the Spirit say to me, and this is why it's so important, our own walk with the Lord. The Spirit said to me, and it wasn't audible, but it was profound and clear. Either get out of the car or pack up your bags and go back to Cincinnati. And I was like, okay, I'll get out of the car. I got out of the car. I didn't know what I was doing. I just start walking. Kids are walking the other way. I'm like, you know, I don't, do you guys know, I don't know what to do, but I did know this. And I think we all know this. We're called to go. Regardless of my fears, my insecurities, regardless of all of that, I'm going not in my power and authority, but in the power and the authority of Christ. Because the passage just before, therefore go, Jesus says, all power and authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he calls us and he gives us that power to go. So I get up and I go and I walk into the school. I'm walking past kids going, you know, scared to death. And as I walk, something's happening inside of me. The sense of the tuning and the listening to the Spirit. Look, Lord, you've just got to do something. I don't know what to do. I thought I was coming up here to start and run Young Life, and there's no Young Life. I can't even say I work for Young Life or like I'm a volunteer. Nobody knows what Young Life is. They've never heard of it. So I come to the stairs, and it's like I made it through the first hallway. I didn't, you know, I didn't like melt or like I didn't vaporize, you know. So I go up the stairs and I'm praying, Lord, just show me anybody. I come around the stairs. And as I come into the upstairs hallway, there's a kid in his locker right there. Not in his locker, but at his locker. <laughs> and uh, as I come around the corner, the peripheral vision for him, his head turns up. And instead of hundreds of kids around, it's like there's only like three or four kids up here. I come around and say, hey. He goes, hi. And I said, hey, I'm Mike. He goes, hi, I'm Greg. I said, Greg, I'm a little bit lost. I'm trying to find the office. I'd like to get a sports schedule. You guys know the routine, right? And he says, oh, well, it's down. I'll tell you what, I'll, sh I'll show you. And Greg walks me down to the office to get a sports schedule. I had no plan on how I was going to meet a kid, but I knew that I needed to go. As we are called to go to kids, I will suggest this. You never know what's going to happen. Don't let that frighten you. But we do know, know what will happen if you don't go. You never know what's going to happen when you go. Except for this. God does go before you. God does go with you. God does go behind you. Do you see why truth is so important for us to understand? Do you see why this is not like, this is not we're just running an organization. This is a kingdom spiritual endeavor that you get to go do. 
to your, you know, kids in your in your communities. So I went back and I gave Sharon Jackson that day. I gave her the name Greg Voskirchen. I said, I met this kid. I was so excited to tell her. Like it was the best. I hope we never lose the joy of meeting a kid. And then another kid and then another kid. So I gave her the name. And uh, it was interesting. About a week later, she calls me and she says, hey, um, I have a friend of mine. And uh, her son got caught smoking pot. And I told her that you would talk to him. (laughs) I'm a junior in college. And now I'm a drug addict counselor. You know, I'm like, no, God, I didn't sign up for this. Where's the road to Cincinnati? You know, can I please go? No. So I say to Sharon, okay, I'll give him a call. And that was in the day when you didn't actually have your own phone number. It was the house phone. So I called the home, and I uh, got on the phone with this kid. His name was Hugh, and I said, Hey, Hugh, I understand you got caught smoking pot. You don't know me, um, but your mom knows somebody who knows me, and they think we should get together. What do you say we get together just so we can kind of say we did? He's like, okay. He gives me the address to his house, no Google Maps. So I pull up on Brantwood Road, and as I'm driving up Brantwood, all of a sudden, there's like 15 dudes up in front. I have not met any of them. And I'm like, you know, the drug counselor now coming to, you know, have a conversation with you. The only other kid in the high school I know is Greg, right? So I pull up and I get out of the car and all of his friends are like <laughs> making fun of him and laughing and stuff. And I'm like, Lord, you have got to do something. I don't know what to say. Are you ever in this place? I don't know what to say. So I figure out which one of them's Hugh. It wasn't that hard because everybody pointed them out. I said, hey, you want, let's just go get some pizza. So we go get in the car and I say, hey, I, I don't really know the area that well yet. Where should we go? And so we go to this pizza place just up the road and we're sitting there. And I'm like, Lord, you've got, to, you've got to give me what to say. Do you know that the scripture says, don't be afraid. God will give you what to say at the right time. You get to experience this as you are faithful walking into the lives of kids. If you you fall into the place of fear and don't walk into the lives of kids, you won't get to experience this. This being that God will give you what to say at the right time. So I'm sitting there having pizza with you. And I'm like, Lord, please tell me what to say. And then he gives me the word. So I say, Hey, Hugh, I was thinking about it, and I just want you to know, I think it's awesome that you were smoking pot. <laughs> he looks at me, and I, was, I said, no, I, like, to me, it just tells me you're looking for more in life than what you have. I did not come up with that on my own. I'm telling you, I am not that smart. I'm not that smart. But it just came to me. The Spirit gave it to me, and I'm like, Wow. We had the greatest conversation about life, about what you're living for, what's at the center of your life. Do you get the sense? This is what ministry is, the joy of walking into a kid's life, the joy of seeing God give you what you need. Do you know what I found out months later? Because I'd go by Sharon Jackson's house and I'd I'd give her an update of, hey, here's what happened, a kid that I met. Here's a few other kids. I bumped into Greg again. It was just really fun. Part of it was I was a college student. I was poor, didn't have much money, I was hungry, and she would always feed me. 
What I found out months later that she would write down every name. She put it in a fishbowl. And then every Wednesday morning, she had about five or six ladies that met and they prayed over those names every week. It's a spiritual endeavor and it's a partnership with people. So as we go into kids' lives, here's what happens. When we think about lost kids, lost kids have this dynamic going on in their lives. Their heart and their behavior. And here's the uniqueness I think for sure that we as Young Life need to stay really sharp on. We somehow have the ability to tolerate or work through the behavior of a kid to have an opportunity to have a conversation with their heart. Many kids look at Christian things and the Christian culture and they feel judged about their behavior so they never have an honest conversation about their heart. And what we're doing is walking into a kid's life consistently in a way with friendship to where we walk through kind of the behavior to have an opportunity, a trusted conversation about the heart. This is what we do. And this is what that conversation looks like. I want to paint a picture of it for you really quickly here. Go ahead and switch to the next one. Instead of the heart in the middle and the behavior, let's kind of flip it a little bit where there's the above the waterline, the below the waterline. The above the waterline is what's seen. It's our behavior. It's our actions. Below the waterline is what's unseen. It's why people do what they do. I want to paint a picture for how people change so that you can have a vision for the way you walk into a kid's life. Okay? So here's the way life kind of works for us. This, by the way, is from a fellow named Evan Griffin who's on Navigator staff at the University of Cincinnati. Um, at the base level, people have needs. And those needs are for survival, for security, for significance, for belonging. These are these base needs in our lives. And because of the base needs that we have, we then have experiences that will create images in our lives. So we have an experience that either meets that need or does not meet that need. So therefore, we have an image that is either pleasurable or painful. And I think if we're honest, we probably all have images still in our minds of things that are painful from the past. Painful from interactions with other people. Painful in terms of our history. So what happens is I have to be able to explain these images. So I explain them by generating beliefs about life. I have to. It's the way the mind works. I have to somehow explain these images and my experiences. So these beliefs are then centered on ourselves, others, and the outside world. I have to be able to explain things, so I, I form beliefs. Then our beliefs, have to, we have to experiment with them and create strategies. What's going to work for me to get through life to satisfy the needs and soothe the pain of our lives? Example is this. A child finds themselves in need of love. And we don't need to go into the reasons of the story, but they don't find that in their parents one way or another. So the images that's burned into their mind is that they're not loved, that they're rejected. So they begin to have a belief to say that I am rejected. I'm not worthy. 
I'm not like other people. And that then begins to be where they experiment with strategies to take care of that. I will then be somebody that has a wall that protects me from other people. That has a wall that protects me from being hurt. From experiencing pain. Or I have a strategy that I will go anywhere and anywhere, everywhere to look for love. And I will do whatever I can to find it. So what happens is that leads then to our actions. The actual actions that we have in life. Or behaviors. And what we do in young life is that we are willing to enter a kid's life. And the example here that I'd like to share is that there's a sailing shop analogy where we come at the surface and we just talk about the actions. Behavior modification. It's here's the information. But here's the beauty of what we do in young life, that we're a scuba shop. And what we do is we dive down deep. And if you look here at the belief section, we have lies and fears and insecurities. I think all of us can think about places in our lives where there are lies and fears and insecurities. And we walk into the lives of kids knowing that this is the truth. That they have lies and insecurities. And we bring the truth. And we replace those lies with the truth. And then here's the beauty of what happens. When we bring the truth into a kid's life, it brings healing to the images and it brings freedom to the strategies. This is the kind of ministry that we're called to do. That we bring the gospel to the deep places of somebody's life. For me, I was dating a girl in high school and she broke up with me. It was tough. I got over it. But what I didn't realize was that what had been burned into me was rejection. And that showed up continually in my life. Until I was willing to really allow the truth of God's love for me to come to that deep place. And heal for me the place of that wounding. So that I could then have a strategy of freedom. That I could walk into relationships not fearing rejection. But actually offering love. I wanted to give you this image for how people change. Because it's what we do when we walk into kids lives. So let's go back to finishing our model here. We'll kind of finish it out pretty quickly here. So we walk into kids' lives. What happens to kids after a while? We share the gospel with them. We don't have club yet. We don't have camp. So how do we share it? We just share it one-on-one -on -one because that's what we do. And then we form a group of kids. All of a sudden, there's a group of kids doing this. There's a body of believers. And then we have two groups of kids that we're going after. Lost kids and found kids. So on the left side, you can put the word campaigners. It begins to be this body of kids. This right here is young life. It's the beauty of going after kids, sharing Jesus with them. They come to know Jesus. We help them grow in their faith. You remember that? Our mission statement, right? This is young life, and it's the beauty of it. And what gets really fun is when a few of those kids on the left-hand side start to catch the vision with you. Because they've been so transformed that what happens is they now become partners and they're part of this mission community. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. In the same way that I've loved you, you must love one another. And they become partners. We get to do it together. And somebody like me who's lost has a friend like Tim who was a campaigner kid who loved me. And he brought me to a place called Club, where words were attached to what I had experienced for months. So where does the program fit in? Let's hit it really quick. 
when you know a bunch of kids, all of a sudden it's like, well, maybe we could take them to camp. That's a great place to take them. Maybe take them to club. If you notice here, the bottom part's blue, the top part's red. The bottom's relationships, the top is program. And you think that's it. The goal is club. It's at the top. No. The goal is camp. No. Where do all of those things end up? Where should they all end up? Back in discipleship. Everything we do moves back towards discipleship. Everything that we do is this joy of taking Christ to kids. And we have these great opportunities that are club and camp. Oh, let's go back one. Here's something that's interesting is the arrow up on the top, the red one. On the right hand side. This is where we need to make sure we don't get stuck as a mission. That we think, if I just have a big club, then I'll have a big camp trip. If I just have a big camp trip, I'll have a big club. Now, I ask this question, is that true? You're kind of going, yes, and you're kind of going, no. Here's what I'll suggest. If you have a big club, you'll probably have a big camp trip if you're doing all the stuff down below. And if you have a big camp trip, you'll likely have a really big club if you're doing all the stuff that's down below. A lot of people aren't willing to do the stuff below and just want to do the stuff above. Please hear me. That is not young life. If you're unwilling to do the stuff on the bottom, that's not young life. The stuff on the top is the celebration of what's happening at the bottom. The stuff on the top, the red stuff, is the celebration of the relationships of what's happening on the bottom. In other words, I'm getting to know so many people, sharing Christ with so many people, and there's just this sense of people getting the, you know, we know so many, I can't keep up with them anymore. What should we do? Let's go to Matthew's house. Isn't that what it is? The leaders just know too many kids, they can't keep up with them all, so it just makes sense. Let's get them all together at somebody's house. Folks, that's what club is. Club is not the place you go to meet kids. Club is the place that kids show up because you've already been sharing Christ with them. You've already invested in their lives. I hope this lights a fire in you. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to get out the doors and go do this. This is the joy and the fun of ministry. I'd like to finish with this last thought, just to encourage you. And please hear this. Your focus should not be to build young life. Because this is what happens. If you try to build young life, like you're really, we want to build young life. We want to have a big club. We want to have a big camp trip. If you try to build young life, you'll kill people. I guarantee it. People will be overrun. People will feel used. You don't want to go there. If you build people, young life will grow. Because it's genuine. It's authentic. You're taking Christ into a kid's life. Folks, as you go from here, build people one at a time. And then it becomes two, and then it's ten, and you can't keep up with them, and you've got to get them all together. And then there's a community of kids that are doing it with you, and it begins to snowball and take off. There's a quote of first century Christians that says this. You able to put that one up? Shelby is... Nope, the next one. No, we'll do that one. This is a quote from a historian from the first century. Speaking about the Christians. They speak about one who is absent as if he were present. And oh, how they love him. 
and oh, how they love one another. What a great call. Rayburn's quote here that we'll read just to kind of close out as well. Young life is Jesus Christ, and don't forget it. That's not just what young life is all about. That's all that young life is all about. Young life's just a name we use. A name we put on our brochures, our stationery, our legal papers. It means very little apart from our having ministry with kids where we become Jesus Christ with skin on to them. Kids need to see in our lives what we talk to them about. They need to see us walking our talk. Paul put it this way, for me to live is Christ. Friends, live the Spirit-filled life. Live the Spirit-led life. And walk into the lives of kids, even though you don't know what you're doing or where you're going. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this time. I thank you for your call in our lives. Even in the midst of our fears and our insecurities. In the midst of so much that we don't know. Lord, help us to hear your voice. Help us to respond to your spirit. Help us to trust. And Lord, do a wonderful work in redeeming and restoring us and our heart. And our lives would reflect that. So as we walk into the lives of kids, they would see something that's really working. They would see an alive person filled with the Spirit, redeemed, restored, that's inviting them to the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to talk number two from Mike Kramer on our Committee Leader Weekend. Stay tuned for more content from this weekend.